Happy Father's Day. We're in a series on the book of Galatians, and we find ourselves in Galatians chapter 2, uh, verse 1 this morning. And I was thinking this week as preparing for this, that maybe since it was Father's Day, maybe we should maybe change direction or something, or maybe I should change the text or the topic. But it occurred to me that there's nothing better for you to know and to know really well. I mean, to know on a level so deep that it affects everything else about you, that you aren't justified by being a perfect father. I think all the fathers need to know that in here. That is not what makes you acceptable to God. That that is not where you get your value or your identity, your worth, your significance. You aren't saved because you're a perfect husband or father. This is good news for all the dads out there. Let me just be crystal clear about this. There has only ever been one perfect father who ever lived. And his kids rebelled. Spoiler alert. And our job and our calling is to reflect that father to our families. And that's not just a hard job. That's an impossible job in our own strength. So what do we need? You know what the dads need here this morning? The dads need the gospel. That's what we need. And we need the freedom that comes from the gospel. That's what we need. And not only do dads here need that, but all of us need to see our dads through the lens of the gospel. If you had a good earthly father or you didn't have a good earthly father, you need to see them through the lens of the gospel. I mean, what do you mean by that? Well, here's the question I have for you. Have you so thoroughly taken the gospel into your heart that it transforms not only how you see yourself, but how you see everybody else, including your dad? See, some of you are probably thinking, well, I don't understand the question. Okay, fair enough. Let me put it this way. Paul, in this letter to the Galatians, is arguing that the gospel is central and the gospel ought to go so far down deep in us that it transforms how we see everything and everyone. The gospel should color, it should shape how you see everything. You say, well, how does that work? Well, let's go to the text here in Galatians. You'll notice, remember, if you've been with us the last couple weeks, that um, here's the context. Uh, when the Christian faith began, the day of Pentecost, uh, it was mostly Jew, uh, Jews and Jewish believers who f- were followers of Jesus. But as the gospel went out and people like Paul and other people took the gospel outside of Jerusalem, there were a lot of non-Jewish believers in Jesus. And what happened was in Galatia, there was a number, Paul went there in in, uh, Acts 13 and 14, and a number of non-Jewish people became believers in Jesus. And when Paul left, some Jewish believers came in and said, listen, you not only have to believe in Jesus, but you need to follow the law. In fact, specifically, circumcision. So it's good to believe in Jesus, but they pulled out a knife. You need to be circumcised. And the Galatian Christians said, whoa, Paul didn't tell us about that. And, and these Jewish believers said, well, listen, Paul, you know, he's not really kind of an apostle. He's kind of a B-postle. You know, he was a, he's kind of a second-class apostle because he wasn't hanging out with Jesus, all right? And he's just trying to water down the good news, the gospel, to make it like it's easier for you to come in. And by doing that, they were questioning Paul. But not only that, more importantly, they were questioning the gospel, and they were dividing the body of Christ, making it just a Jewish thing and not just a thing for the whole world. And so Paul quickly and decisively responds with white-hot emotion and razor-sharp logic that another gospel is no gospel at all. In fact, if you were here last week, not to offend anybody, but what we said was what he says there, if somebody comes preaching another gospel, if it's an apostle, if it's an angel, anybody, they can go to hell. 
It's kind of intense. That's what he said. And just to review last week, we said, if, if the gospel is that important, we might want to know what the gospel is. And so just to review last week, we asked the question, what is the gospel? And we said, the gospel is the good news. That's what the word gospel means. It's the good news that Jesus is Lord. It is cosmic in scope, but it's personal in application. He died on the cross. He rose from the dead. He ascended into heaven. He is Lord, and that means I can be forgiven from my sin because I put my faith in him. That is the gospel in a nutshell. And we ask, why is it important? Because, Paul says in Galatians 1, it wasn't man-made. I didn't make this up. It's not for me, right? And it transforms everything. And then in the rest of chapter 1, he began to give his testimony to show that the gospel wasn't from him. He didn't make it up. And to show how it transformed him. Now when we get to chapter 2, Paul's no less intense. He's still white, hot, emotion, passionate. He keeps up with the story. He's still autobiographical. But he's still making the point that the gospel is from God. We don't get to change it. And it transforms everything. Now when we get to chapter 2... Uh, the outline of the chapter is what we're going to go with here because, you know, the, 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 when you're preaching straight from the text, it should be that the text determines the tone and the content of the message. That's the way it works. And so there's two movements. It's believing the gospel in Jerusalem and living the gospel in Antioch. That's how Galatians chapter 2 goes. Uh, first, they're believing the gospel in Jerusalem, but then letting the rubber meet the road in Antioch when they meet. So the first movement leads to the second. Now, if you will be patient this morning and you will listen carefully to God's word, I think you'll see that the same two movements happen in your life. And if you'll join me, and and, and not just join me, but join Paul and Peter in believing the gospel and then go beyond just believing it intellectually to living it, in other words, making it the controlling narrative of your life, in other words, the lens through which you see everything else in your world, it will literally change everything everything about you. Now, some of you are thinking, okay, I think, you know, Tim, you're being a little grandiose. You know, you are given to exaggeration sometimes. Okay, you don't believe me? I dare you. I double dog dare you, okay, to concentrate on this text and to listen to the text of Scripture this morning and let the gospel in no matter where you are in life. See, if you're, if you're a dad, and, and, and Father's Day is hard for you because you're right now experiencing shame or regret because you're being reminded of the things you wish you had done differently in the past, I want you to know something. I don't have any condemnation for you. I get it. I get it, but you need to hear this. You need to hear this. And, and maybe if you've, you had a rough father growing up, and maybe you're not a father, or maybe you are a father, but you had a, a, a not good father growing up, and, and, and this is a hard day for you for that, and you're just like, oh, you're wrestling with this and this whole idea of God is a good, good father. Man, that's hard for you. This is for you. And maybe you're a youth who's struggling with your identity and you're trying to discover, who am I anyway? Why am I here? Why did God even put me here? And, and you're wrestling with us. What is your call? What is your destiny? All that. This is for you. There's not one person in this room who doesn't need a clearer understanding of the gospel. This is for all of us. Let's look at the text. Galatians 2, verse 1. Fourteen years later, I went up again to Jerusalem, this time with Barnabas. I took Titus along also. I went in response to a revelation and set before them the gospel that I preach among the Gentiles. But I did this privately to those who seemed to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. Now stop right there. At first glance, 
It kind of sounds like Paul's unsure. Right? And when you first read that, it's like, it, it sounds like he was afraid maybe he got the gospel wrong, so he's going, did I get this right? But, but that's not what's going on here. Just so we're clear, Paul was not a fearful dude. He was fearless. I mean, before he became a Christian, he was persecuting the church. I mean, he was fearless in, per- in killing people. Right? He, he wasn't afraid. He wasn't a fearful dude. When he got saved, he was fearless in facing persecution. I mean, you read the book of Acts, Acts chapter 20. Uh, he said, the Holy Spirit tells me in every city I go in that prisons and hardships are awaiting me. And what did he do? He went anyway. That ain't a fearful guy. The Holy Spirit told him in every city he went into, you're going to prison and there's going to be hardships. Chapter 21, you remember this story? There's a prophet that comes up, he's on his way to Jerusalem, and there's a prophet that comes up to uh, Paul, and his name is Agabus, and he takes Paul's belt off, because prophets are weird, and, and, and he takes his belt, and he ties himself up with, the, with Paul's belt and says, in the same way, the owner of this belt uh, will be bound by the gen, will be turned over to the Gentiles and bound and whatever, and everybody says, oh, Paul, don't go, don't go, and what does Paul say? You're killing me here. Of course I'm going. I'm ready to die for Jesus. Please. Don't try to talk me out of doing what God told me to do. That's that's Paul for you, okay? So he's a fearless guy. So in this, he's not afraid that he's wrong. He says he got, in fact, in chapter one, he said, I got this gospel straight from Jesus. So I'm not worried about am I right or am I wrong. That's important that you understand. That's not what's going on because if you don't understand that, you'll miss the gravity of the situation. See, what is at issue here is, is the church going to be faithful to the gospel and include Gentiles who are outside of Judaism into the family of God? Nothing here is threatening Paul's certainty. It's threatening his fruitfulness. See, if the apostles had started teaching that you have to follow the law, in other words, you got to become Jewish to become a Christian, then Christianity, listen, would have simply been a reform movement within Judaism and not good news for the whole world. It would have just been for the Jews. And you and I, most of us here, would have been left out. So Paul didn't go to Jerusalem because he thought, you know, maybe the apostles are, maybe I'm preaching a wrong gospel or maybe they're preaching a wrong gospel. No, they all believed Jesus was Messiah. He died, rose again, ascended into heaven, sent his spirit. They all believed that. What he did fear is that the Jerusalem apostles might not be true to the gospel. They might not invite Gentiles into the family of God. So this Jerusalem meeting is hugely important for you and I. Crucial. Everything was resting On this, verse 3, yet not even Titus, who was with me, was compelled to be circumcised, even though he was a Greek. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. We did not give in to them for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might remain with you. Now stop right here. Do Do you hear Paul's heart in this? Paul's heart for the Galatians is that they would experience the freedom that we have in Jesus. And so what? He's angry at what is trying to enslave them. Why? Because he loves them. He's so angry. But it's because he loves them that he's angry at what's enslaved. Listen, the opposite of love is not anger. It's apathy. If he didn't care, you know, he's not loving them. He does care. That's why he's angry at what's enslaving them. And so he's not going to give in. He's going to hold fast to the gospel because he wants them to be free. Now, I want to tell you guys, I I feel a little of this passion this morning for you. 
Like, I'm feeling some of what Paul was feeling for the Galatians. I feel for you, I want desperately for you to experience this freedom that comes from Jesus when you fully let the gospel in. Listen, you guys, you know, we celebrated Juneteenth yesterday. It's all about freedom. This is the real freedom. This, and, and I have a path. I want you to experience this because here's what I know about some of you. Some of you are constantly held down by chains from your past. And some of you are constantly striving. You're constantly trying to earn your acceptance from God. You're trying to make yourself feel okay about yourself. And that is just bondage. Because you're trying to justify yourself and it never works. Remember in chapter 1, Paul said, the only thing that comes from any other gospel is condemnation. Every other gospel produces condemnation. The true one gospel produces freedom. And that's what Paul wanted for the Galatians, and that's what I want for us. Verse 6. As for those who seem to be important, whatever they were makes no difference to me. God does not judge by external appearance. Uh, Side note here, if God doesn't judge by external appearance, maybe we shouldn't either. That's not what the sermon's about, but I'll just throw that in. Okay. Those men added nothing to my message. On the contrary... They saw that I had been entrusted with the task of preaching the gospel to the Gentiles, just as Peter had been to the Jews. For God, who was at work in the ministry of Peter as an apostle to the Jews, was also at work in my ministry as an apostle to the Gentiles. James, Peter, and John, those reputed to be pillars, gave me and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship when they recognized the grace given to me. They agreed that we should go to the Gentiles and they to the Jews. All they ask is that we should continue to remember the poor, the very thing I was eager to do. Now, what's he saying here? He's saying, we agreed. We had this meeting in Jerusalem and we agreed about the gospel. Jesus is the Messiah. He is Lord. But it's not just good news for the Jews. It's good news for everyone. So the gospel isn't a reform movement within Judaism. It is the fulfillment of the promise to Abraham way back in Genesis 12 to bless all of the peoples of the earth through him. The gospel is for everyone. There's a new people of God that includes Jews and Gentiles, a multi-ethnic people of God, all from the same Jesus. This is the gospel. And, and, And Paul is saying, we agreed on it. So everything's great, right? Not so much. (laughs) And that's why we go to the second movement of this chapter. It's not just believing the gospel in Jerusalem because everybody's on the same page there. Now now they're going to Antioch. And in Antioch, it's not just, hey, we're all Jewish believers in Jesus, so it's easy to get along. Now we got to live out the gospel in Antioch where there's different cultural and ethnic backgrounds of people from different sides of the uh, play everywhere. Now, listen. This is where a lot of us who have grown up in church or been around the church for a while, this is where the rubber meets the road, okay? Because I think all of us would say, we would do the Jerusalem thing. We believe the gospel. I think if we gave a test, most of us would get the right answers on the quiz. But now we got to live it out in Antioch. Do you allow the gospel to shape how you see God, the world, and yourself? Do you allow the gospel to shape how you see your spouse? How you treat other ethnic groups, how you spend your money, how you raise your kids, how you see politics, how you treat your enemies. Now we're in Antioch. Okay. It's about to get real. Verse 11. When Peter came to Antioch, I opposed him to his face. (laughs) 
because he was clearly in the wrong. Before certain men came from James, he used to eat with the Gentiles. But when they arrived, he began to draw back and separate himself from the Gentiles because he was afraid of those who belonged to the circumcision group. The other Jews joined him in his hypocrisy so that by their hypocrisy, even Barnabas was led astray. See what happens? Hypocrisy is contagious. You think COVID's contagious? Hypocrisy is contagious. Because Peter, he knows the gospel here. And he knows it applies to everyone. He had already, if you go back to Acts chapter 10, he had already had an experience. He was at Simon the Tanner's house. He's on the roof praying, and he's getting hungry. And this sheet, he gets, he has this vision. A sheet comes down from heaven, and it's got a bunch of unclean animals. Uh, and the voice says, you know, kill and eat. And he's like, no way, Lord. I have never eaten anything, un, you know, unclean. Or like, I, I, have, I always eat kosher. I, I wouldn't dare touch that unclean stuff. And the voice said, do not call unclean what God's made clean. It happened three times. While this was happening, people from Cornelius' house, he was a centurion, okay, and not a Jew, uh, they come and say, our master wants you to come and go with us. And the Spirit of God had told Peter to go with him. So Peter goes, and he starts his message at Cornelius' house with this. You know, we're not, we usually don't hang around with riffraff like you. <laughs> Unclean people like you. You know, we don't, we don't usually do that. But I had this vision and I was supposed to come here. So here's the deal. Jesus is Lord, all right? You killed him, but God raised him from the dead. And while he's still preaching, hasn't even gotten to the altar call yet. Hasn't called the worship team up to play in the background, some music. Not, while he's still preaching, the spirit of God falls. They all start speaking in tongues. And Peter's like, I'm not done yet. And he's like, the spirit is coming on Gentiles. So maybe he, God doesn't show favoritism. And then he got the apostles back in Jerusalem like, what are you doing, bro? Going to the Gentiles. He's like, I don't know. I just, here's what happened. I started telling them, and the Holy Spirit fell on while I was still preaching. It wasn't done. I was still preaching. They started speaking in tongues. I don't know. And they said, well, praise God. That means that he accepts the Gentiles too. Now, Peter already knew all of that. He's already lived that. But now, some, in, in Galatians 2, some people from the circumcision group come, and Peter stops eating with the Gentiles. There's some... There's some racial pride going on here. It's the Jews. I, I'm the Jew. We eat kosher food. I, I'm not going to eat with you. And, and see, for you, you're like, well, somebody didn't eat with somebody. It's not that big a deal. That, in, that, in the first century, table fellowship was huge. Yes. Who you share a meal with is who you accept and who is accepted by you. All right? And if you don't share food with them, that's a big thing. You're putting yourself above them. Now, just so we're clear... I, I, want, I don't want to be misunderstanding here. The circumcision group believed Jesus was the Messiah. Okay, I, I know for sometimes when you read that, the people from the circumcision use it. It's the villains. The villains have returned to the scene of the crime, and you picture them with horns and a black cape. And, and it, it, no, that, that's not. These people, they were Jewish followers of Jesus. They believed in Jesus. They believed in the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the Holy Spirit, believed all of it. But they believed that in order to be saved, to be justified before God, you had to not only believe in Jesus, but you had to obey all the law. And so they got the order mixed up. See, for the circumcision group, here's how it works. You believe in Jesus, you obey the law, and then you're saved. And what Paul said, no, that's not the, here's the gospel, you believe in Jesus, you're saved. Therefore, out of love, you just obey what he says. You see the difference? That's a big difference. 
The circumcision group said, if I obey, then I'll be accepted. Paul said, I'm accepted already, therefore I'm going to obey Jesus. And obedience then comes as a result of love. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do what I command you. Right? This is so important, you guys. Because some of us have confused this so badly that here's what's happened. Following Jesus has become a chore. Because you're trying to earn what Jesus already freely gave you. And when you're trying to atone for yourself, when you're trying to justify yourself, when you're trying to make yourself good enough to be accepted, it will always be a chore. It will always result in conduct. Listen, obedience in order to gain acceptance will always make you feel anxious and selfish. Oh yeah, if you're just trying to obey God to get God to accept you, you're always going to be anxious because did you do enough? Did I do enough to accept it? You know, you're always going to be selfish. Why? Because it's about you. All of a sudden, salvation is not about Jesus anymore. It's about you. You're trying to gain acceptance from him. And then what will happen is obedience will become a burden. And you know what you'll be? You'll be touchy and defensive. Oh, yeah. Because the first time somebody criticizes you about anything, you're going to fight back. Why? Because it's critical to you to feel like you're a good person. Why? Because that's how you're atoning for yourself. So you can't take it. Somebody says you're not, you know, makes any suggestion that you're not awesome. And you guys are awesome, by the way, but follow my argument here. If, however, you obey because you're already saved, you're already loved, you're already accepted, then when you obey, it's just out of love. And there's joy in it. I mean, you might be doing the exact same actions from the outside, but it's coming from a radically different place on the inside because of the gospel, and it's totally different. I heard a story some time ago of a lady who was unhappily married to a very controlling, manipulative man, and, and he was very, I mean, just, he was a horrible guy, and he had a list of rules for his wife. Like, he, he wrote out these rules and put them on the wall of things she had to do. You got to do this, you got to do this, and you get home on a meal, and, you know, and, and she was obviously a little resentful of that, and over the years, she became bitter of that, and then happily, one day, he died. And then a little bit later, she meets another guy, and she falls in love. But the difference in this marriage was he was always trying to serve her, and she was trying to serve him. They were trying to outdo each other in love and taking care of the other one. And, and then one day, she was cleaning out the garage, and she found the list from her previous husband. And at first, she, she had this tense, you know, tense anger. But then she read through the list, and she started giggling. And then she just started laughing. And then she was laughing so hard, tears were coming down her face because she realized she's looking at the list. She was doing all those things for her new husband, but not to gain his acceptance, just because she loved him. Amen. Just because she loved him. Same exact outside thing. One of them produced condemnation and bitterness and anger and all that. And in the other, it was just coming out of love. See, as a pastor, I can preach and teach and counsel and lead and do baby dedications and baptisms and weddings and funerals and offerings and work on the, all that stuff. And I can do that to try to earn acceptance from God and approval from you. And if I do that, I'm trying to find my identity in that. I'm finding my security in that. And, and I'm saying to myself, I'm okay because I do these things. But if I do that, it's going to result in anxiety and selfishness and insecurity because I'm trying to redeem myself. I can do all those very same things, but I can do them by saying, look, I'm accepted by God. 
I'm already forgiven. I'm already made new. I got a new identity in Jesus. I have inestimable value and worth because of what Jesus did for me. Therefore, I'm not doing all these things to gain acceptance. I already have it. I'm not doing those things to gain your approval. I'm already approved by God in Christ. Oh, man. I don't need my approval rating to go up. And let's be honest, we all know it. Okay, my approval rating was pretty low during the pandemic. All right, I know. So was everybody's. Every leader had low approval rating in the pandemic because nobody ever did anything right ever. If you don't believe me, just look at social media. You know that nobody ever does anything right. Here's my point. If I do what I do in order to gain approval and acceptance, I am totally missing the point of the gospel, which is I'm already accepted. Oh, man. And that means I'm free. And the same is true for you. If you will let the gospel in that you're already accepted, you're already loved, you're already approved. Sadly, most people in churches in America have the order of the circumcision group rather than the pure motivation of the gospel and the freedom that comes from it. Look at verse 14. When I saw that they were not acting in line with the truth of the gospel, I said to Peter in front of them all, you're a Jew, yet you live like a Gentile and not like a Jew. How is it then that you force Gentiles to follow Jewish customs? Now stop right there. Some people think that the gospel is elementary stuff, all right, and so it's for the non-Christian, they need the gospel, you know, the new Christian needs the gospel, but now we need the meat, we need something more advanced. But Peter was an apostle. That's pretty advanced, okay? And Paul does what? He brings him back to the gospel. Peter, there are implications to the gospel you're not thinking about. Now, there's lots of scriptures in the Bible uh, uh, about racism. I mean, he could have just picked a verse in the Bible about racism and said, hey, don't be racist, Peter. He could have done that. But he does something deeper than that. He says, you need to let the gospel in deeper and not just believe it with your intellect. It needs to shape everything about you. And here's the crescendo of the argument, and this is as far as we'll get today. We'll pick up with the rest of Galatians 2 next week, Lord willing. Galatians 2, verse 15. Listen to this. 15, you've got to hear this. We who are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners know, and I hope you know this. If you don't know this, I hope you know it now. We know that a man is not justified by observing the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. So we too have put our faith in Christ, in Christ Jesus, that we may be justified by faith in Christ and not by observing the law because by observing the law, no one will be justified. Now, Paul introduces this this word justify or justification right here. And it just means, the word justify means to declare righteous. To declare somebody's not guilty. It's like, in a, it's like a, a forensic legal term in a court where the judge says, you know, takes his gavel, pounds and says, not guilty. That's what it means to justify. And he says here, we are pronounced not guilty by God, not because we obeyed the law, but because we have faith in Jesus. Martin Luther, commenting on this verse, says this, and I quote, This is the truth of the gospel. Most necessary it is, therefore, that we should know it well, teach it unto others, and beat it into their heads continually. Listen, 
We need the gospel beat into our heads continually. And that's why when you read Galatians, it comes up over and over. And, and you're going to feel like this summer, you're going to go again with the gospel, again with the yes. I'm going to beat it into your head continually. <laughs> because listen, you guys, you do not ever earn your acceptance by God. No one is justified by obeying the law. Oh, this doesn't get more. There's, there's nothing more important than this. Sinclair Ferguson writes, and I quote, the practical importance of justification cannot be exaggerated. The glory of the gospel is that God has declared Christians to be rightly related to him in spite of their sin. But our greatest temptation and mistake is to try to smuggle character into his work of grace. Ooh, this is a good line. Our greatest temptation is we try to smuggle character into his work of grace. How easily we fall into the trap of assuming that we only remain justified so long as there are grounds in our character for justification. But Paul's teaching is that nothing we ever do contributes to our justification. And that is what Paul said. That is the clear, unarguable teaching of God's word. Nothing we do at all contributes to our justification. Charles Spurgeon said, you got a better shot of sailing the Atlantic in a paper boat than getting to heaven on your good works. Now, for some of us, we think, okay, we're supposed to be getting better and more like Jesus. Yes! And, and, and there's some confusion on this, and I, and I want to just explain very quickly, and I need to be in teacher mode for just another few minutes here, that there's a difference between justification and sanctification. Now, those are two very long words, but just think of it this way. All long words are just a bunch of little words that got together. <laughs> right? So there's, we're going to have a chart up here. And I want you to see this chart with justification on one side and sanctification on the other. So here, here's how it goes. Justification is a forensic legal declaration. God says you're righteous, right? Sanctification is that you're made righteous. Justification is objective. Sanctification is subjective. Justification means your standing is changed, Right? You went from this category, and God said, nope, righteous. Now you're in this category. Sanctification is you are changed. Justification is the finished work of Jesus for us, and get the word right, finished work, meaning done deal. It's that for us. Sanctification is the continual, ongoing work of the Holy Spirit in us. Justification is the same for everybody right? Sanctification varies in recipients. We have different journeys and walks as we become holy, right? As we become more like Jesus, right? Justification is instantaneous. Sanctification is a gradual growth being transformed into his likeness with ever-increasing glory. Justification is immediate and complete upon conversion. And listen, enjoy this with me. You will never be more justified than you were the moment you first trusted the person and work of Jesus Christ. In that moment, you are completely justified and, here, oh, oh, this is even better. No one in history is more justified than you are in this moment. Just pick somebody from church history. Pick Paul, you know, pick Peter, pick Pastor Carol. Okay, anybody? And whoever they are, they are not more justified than you because justification is a position. Justification is immediate. It's complete upon conversion. It isn't a process. It isn't progressive. One author put it this way, the weakest believer and the strongest saint 
are alike equally justified because justification admits no degrees. A man is either wholly justified or wholly condemned in the sight of God. Those are the only two options. Either you accept the righteousness of Jesus Christ on your behalf and you're accepted by God, you're justified, or you seek your own justification and thereby are wholly condemned. It's like you can't be partially justified. Okay, it's, it's that, in that great film in cinematic history, The Princess Bride, <laughs> where Anigo and, and, and Fezzik take Wesley to Miracle Max. Remember, not going to play by Billy Crystal. And they're like, we need a miracle. Because he's like, how do you know I won't kill him? He's, he's already dead. And they bring him in, and he push, you know, does the air into it. He's like, oh, no, he's just mostly dead. He's not all dead. Big difference between mostly dead and all dead. When they're all dead, there's only usually one thing you can do. And they said, really, what's that? Go through their pocket for loose change. (laughs) But he's just mostly dead. Here's the deal. You can't be mostly justified. You're either all justified or you're not. That's like saying, you know, I'm borderline pregnant. (laughs) No one is borderline. You either is or you ain't. Now, look, I'm not trying to minimize the importance of sanctification, okay? It's the evidence of genuine justification. It's the objective, but hear me. It's just that sanctification never becomes the ground or the basis for our justification. So regardless of how much you mature in this life, after your conversion, at no point in the process of maturity does the development of your character ever become the grounds for your forgiveness by God, your justification, or your acceptance before God. God will never accept you more than he does in this very moment. Because, and here's a line that I stole from somebody, but I can't remember who it was I stole it from, so I can't give them credit. So I just want you to know, nobody put this on social media and put Tim Parrish, okay? Don't do that. Listen to this, though. It is only, ever, and always the obedience of another on your behalf that secures your acceptance by God. You, you need to let this, this, this is part of the gospel. It is only ever and always the obedience of another, Jesus Christ's obedience on your behalf that secures your acceptance by God. This is wildly encouraging and freeing. Jesus did it, man. And I'm in him. That means when the Father looks on me, I've been declared righteous. That means when he looks at me, he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. See, it's not just that my sins are forgiven. That is part of the gospel, okay? And that alone would be awesome in itself. And sometimes when we hear the word, people say justification, and they have this, it's just as if I'd never sinned. That's kind of the definition people give to it. And that's okay, but that's only part of it. It would be like, we're going to have a picture up here. Uh, here's a figure one, okay? So you have all of these minuses. Like, these are all of your sins or your debts over here. And most people think that it just, you know, justification is, so Jesus just wipes your sins away. All your debts go away, right? And that's great. That would be exciting. Think of it this way. I looked it up. I Googled it a few days ago. The richest man in America is Jeff Bezos, okay? And I think as of when I Googled it, he was worth $183 billion, give or take a cold billion, 183 billion. Now, what if, follow the illustration here, what if Jeff Bezos came to New Life Church this morning and after church, he went up to you and said, I just really feel moved by the Spirit, and you're saying, Jeff Bezos would never do that. Well, miracles happen. 
okay? So let's say he comes and he goes up to you and after church he says, I want to pay off all your debt. You, you would probably feel kind of good about that, right? I mean, let's say you haven't been doing Dave. I know a lot of y'all do Dane Ramsey, ain't got no debt. Let's just say, I haven't. So I got some debt. So, so let's say Jeff Bezos comes up to me and says, I'm going to pay off all your debt. I would be kind of happy. Wouldn't you be, Kevin, would you be happy if, if Jeff Bezos, Kevin Hayes Taylor, your debt is gone, paint it off. But what, what does that do? That pays off all your debt, and that's, you might shout a little bit more during praise and worship. You, you might get excited. But what does that do? That just brings you up to zero. That means your debt's paid off, right? And for some people, Jesus, he washed away all of our sin, and to them, they now are up to nothing, and they got to earn their own righteousness now. But that's not the end of the story for justification. There's another one. Here's another picture. This one is now your, your debt's been washed away. Now you get credited to your account the work of another. So what if Jeff Bezos, Kevin, what if Jeff Bezos came up here today and said, not only, Kevin, am I going to pay off your uh, debt, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take my checking account, and I'm going to take off Jeff Bezos' name and put Kevin Hayes Taylor. Hey! Hey, that's right. Yeah. Huh? You might get excited. I'm going to take it off my, uh, all my stocks in Amazon. going to say Kevin Hayes Taylor. All my cars, the ownership going to be Kevin Hayes Taylor. My boats, Kevin Hayes Taylor. Yeah, you might dance. You might dance. Listen, in the gospel of Jesus Christ, not only are our sins, and you better dance on this one, not only are our sins washed away, but we get credited above all of the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Yeah. Man, and that is, a, that is a heritage, that is a treasure that would make $183 billion look like chump change. Chump change. And when you let that in, the idea that you're going to earn acceptance with God seems ridiculous. You can never earn that and you don't have to. Oh, if you take the gospel in, you know what? You're going to be a humble person. Because he did it for you. Man, you're not only going to be humble, you're going to be grateful. When the gospel penetrates to the deepest part of your heart, you realize you don't have the right to feel superior to anybody. Well, he did it. He did it. You didn't do it. He did all of it. And it's credited to your account. And the father looks on you and he sees the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Man, you ain't got the right to look down on anybody. But you know what else? It's even better than that. You know what else it is? Not only do you not have the right to look down on anybody, you don't need to. I don't need to look down. See, see, if you're trying to earn approval, if you're trying to earn acceptance from God, then you need to make sure you're doing things that set you apart from everybody else. Okay. You're, you're doing things that make you stand out. You need to feel superior, better than. You need it because that's what you're being justified by. And man, that'll mess you up. When I was in college, we had, I had a, there was a student in our college, and, and his name was Matt, and Matt beat me at everything. I'm not bitter. <laughs> Jerk. Um, he beat me for valedictorian by 0 .04 GPA. 0 .04. 0 .04. He beat me. He, he, averaged, he averaged more points on our intramural basketball team than I did. He had a higher batting average on the church softball team than I did. He hit more home runs than I did. He, had, he was like two or three inches taller than me, and he had a nicer car. And one day I was complaining to Marlene about all this. She was like, wow, that's terrible. 
And then she said, well, at least your wife is prettier than his. <laughs> yeah. And I said, yes, I win, I win, I win. Here, here, here's the point, it's never enough. Man, if you're trying to get your acceptance, your approval by God, if you're trying to earn it, it's never going to be enough, and you're always going to feel like you need to be superior to somebody. But if you let the gospel in, you don't need to feel superior because why? You're already loved. And not just by anybody, by the king of the universe. Oh, I'm already accepted. Already accepted. I don't need you to accept me because I'm already accepted. I don't need it. Man, you, you're already seen as beautiful in the only pair of eyes that matter in the entire universe. You're beautiful. You've been declared righteous. You've been approved of by God in Christ, not on the basis of your performance, but on the performance of another, not your record on his record. You know what happens? Man, when you let the gospel in like that, now you're free. Oh, yeah, now I'm free. Now I can love you. Because I'm not doing it to get something from you. I don't have to be superior to you. I don't need it. I can come up under you. I can lift you up. I can encourage you. I can speak life into you. And maybe you didn't say happy Father's Day to me. It don't matter. Because I'm getting my approval from somewhere else. From a well that never runs dry. Never. And you know what that means? Just like in Galatians, that means people from different ethnic backgrounds, we can come together because of the gospel and get each other's back, right? And be the people of God that he intends us to be as a light to the world to be something they want. Lord, I pray that the truth of the gospel would just be driven into us. Lord, it wouldn't be just that we're believing the gospel in Jerusalem, but we're living it in Antioch. We're living it here. Lord, I pray that right now in the name of Jesus.